Hi, this is Jeff, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma. And I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. And I can't imagine a better way to close out this series, The King Promised, than to talk about the gift, the gift of Jesus Christ, and better yet, our response to that to be a giver. I hope you enjoy this. God bless. from Luke chapter 2 and then I'm going to read out of Matthew chapter 2 it says in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered this was the first registration when uh, Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, he betrothed, who was with child, and they were there. The time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they heard and had seen and had been told them. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And then in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came from Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them when, where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, 
are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will be shepherd, who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent from Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him and opened their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. See right here, we've got the written out account from the Gospels of the birth of Jesus. We've got the account of Mary and Joseph going to be counted among the Jews, the people that Herod wanted. And they've had no other place to rest for the night. And Mary gives birth to this child in an inn. The shepherds out in the field encounter the angel and the angel tells them of the child and they go to worship him and then after he's born the story of the wise men and they bring treasure to Jesus and they worship him as well and as we've been in this Advent series we've got this idea of this promised king this king that would come this very moment that has been talked about from the very beginning, all the way back, going back to the garden, back to the time when Adam and Eve have fallen and they've sinned, they've partaken of the fruit that they were to not take. And in that very moment, if you'll remember from week one, we saw that even at the moment in which the serpent was cursed, God was promising the coming of a Messiah, a Savior, a Rescuer. And when he would come, we discovered in week two that he would not only come as a prophet fulfilling what all of the Old Testament prophets would say, but he would come to fulfill and be the fulfillment of the very face of God and not as just prophet, but as priest and ultimately king. And last week we discovered why he had to die. Because God is just holy and a holy and just God could not dismiss our sin with a simple word of forgiveness but there still had to be an ultimate sacrifice and what Jesus did allowed God to remain just in his perfect way but today Today, I want to look at the impact of the ultimate gift, the impact of the ultimate gift, Jesus. And we start with John 3, 
16, maybe one of the most rehearsed, quoted scriptures of all time. John 3, 16. If we can read this aloud together, as it should be on the screen, I believe I got it up there. Let's read this aloud together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God loved us so much. Again, going all the way back to the garden in which man messed things up for all of us. But he had, a, had something, a perfect plan in motion. His name was Jesus. And he loved us so much that he gave his only son. I've often said about the Bible that it has a prominent theme from the very beginning all the way to the very end. That if I could sum up the Bible in one word, it would be this. Restoration. The whole of the Bible is to restore man to God. The whole of the Bible in our, in our relationships with one another, in our encounters, in, in the times in which man fails each other, in which we do oftentimes, I promise you, I will fail you today. But God wants us restored to each other and restored to him. So restoration theme number one. But I, I would like to add, if I may, a sub-point theme of the Bible, if I may, and it might be as significant as restoration or maybe even synonymous with the word restoration. Maybe they go hand in hand. One without the other could not exist, and it's this. If the theme of the Bible is restoration, then it is only possible through this word, love. And because God loved and needed restoration, the only way to get there is through giving. And he gave his son. Galatians 1 4 says, Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from present evil, from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father. It was according to his will. It was his will, his perfect will, that he gave himself for our sins. And then as we move just a little bit to the left in the Bible, if you will, Romans 8, one of my favorite. Chapters in the entire Bible in one of my favorite books, Romans 8 and verses 31 through 32 says, what then shall we say to these things? This is after God has said, and the author in this has said, what can separate us from the love of God? Can height or depth? Can, can, and he lists a, a, a plethora of things that if you were to list them out, everything under the sun would fit in this thing. We discovered that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And he goes on here and says, what then shall we say to these things? Comparing them to the things that can separate us being nothing from the love of God. If nothing can separate us from the love of God, then if God is for us, who can be against us? For he who did not spare his own son but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So restoration being a theme, love being the predominant force behind restoration. And the only way we experience restoration is through this action. Give, gave, whatever tense we want to put it in today. The theme of Christmas right now, 
How could I even address this without the gift, Jesus? It's an Old Testament story about a response that maybe we could apply in our lives to the gift. Ultimately, God wants to give his son or gave his son so that we would surrender to him and live our lives for him. But if we're not living our, or the best way to demonstrate or to show that we're living our lives for him is to take on a similar action, and that's called giving ourselves. Now, I want to be careful. I'm going to use money for a little bit, but my intent today I'm not going to receive an offering. I'm not going to talk about us giving today to, to, to manipulate or motivate people to give money. But I'm going to use money for a little while. I hope that's okay. My intent is to not increase the budget of Word of Life Miami today through today's message. My intent is to talk about matters of the heart. Period. But I cannot seem to find anywhere in the Bible to best articulate our comparison of giving to God's comparison of giving than to let go of things that are most important to us. So when I talk about money today, remember, I'm not receiving a special offering. I'm not increasing our budget. I'm not asking for anything than for you to examine your heart in the end. But in the Old Testament, there's a story of a woman who's in dire straits. There's a famine that's been prophesied. She's living in the midst of the prophecy. There's no water. Crops aren't producing. She is down to her last little bit of oil and flour. And the prophet shows up. Well, let's read this story together. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 9 through 16. If you have your Bibles, you'll want to turn there for this. I don't remember if I've got this on the... Yeah, I've got this on the screen. You can look this up there today. 1 Kings chapter 17. And it starts with this word, Arise, go to Seraphath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose, and he went to Zarephath. Where he came to the gate and the city. Behold, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called her, and he said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Let me give you a little bit of background again. I want to, I'm going to pull this up here. It's a reminder, this is Elijah the prophet. <coughs> Excuse me. And in the verses before, as I said, I want to read just impromptu here, verses 1 through seven, it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Galilee said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So the, the context of what's going here is imagine it's not even, it's, it's so dry that rain's not going to happen, but dew, neither do. There's not going to even be morning dew. Except when God speaks for it to happen. The only time in which there's going to be provision of moisture is at the very voice of God. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook 
Cherith, which is at the east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook that I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So the provision for this man at this moment is strictly from what the birds are bringing to him. So he went and he did according to the word of the Lord. And he went and he lived by the brook of Cherith at the east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Now, in most circumstances, and in most people's lives, myself included, if I was sitting in the place of provision from God, at this moment in which that provision dried up, who do you think I'd point my finger at? God. I'd point my finger at God and I'd say, God, where is your provision? You promised to provide for me. You said that you would provide from this spot, that there would be a source of water. The, the, the birds have been showing up miraculously and bringing me bread, and they've been bringing me meat, and all of a sudden, nothing is coming to me. And in verse 7, it says, Then the word of the Lord came. Then the word of the Lord came. So we've got a scenario here where the prophet could have very easily been mad at God. But no, he sat and he listened to the voice of God in which God opens up the door. And that's where we begin right here. And he says to the prophet, arise. And he says, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. In verse 10, so he arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and he said, bring me a little water in a vessel where I may drink. And as she was gathering to bring it, he called her and he said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son. Listen to this phrase, that we may eat it and die. What desperation is in her voice here. This is the last amount of whatever I have. I've got just enough to bake a small morsel for my son and I. And our intent is to eat this and die. The desperation here. There's nothing else. I don't see any future provision on the horizon. There's no more means by which I can go and gather. I've got nothing to sow. I've got nothing to reap. I can't gather. There's no end to be seen to what the circumstance that I'm sitting in. Have any of us found ourselves in this situation where our current situation doesn't seem to be producing any avenue for escape? And so in her mind, the only thing is, is I'm going to eat one more meal it's going to be very little, and the only option in this moment is for us to die. But Elijah said to her something very profound. He said, do not fear, I don't care. Well, he didn't quite say I don't care, did he? He said, do not fear, go and do as I have said. It's like he dismissed the fact that her desperation is, we're going to eat and die. And he says, no, do as I have said. But first, but first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. 
and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. Didn't she just say, I've got just enough for my son and I, and we're going to die? But he says, make something for me, and then make something. This dude's kind of selfish, isn't he? It's like, no, feed the prophet. Feed the man of God first. And then he goes into prophesy mode in verse 14. He says, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. So it's like she reaches into flour, pulls out what she needs, and continually she'll be able to reach into flour and pull out what she needs. Now she just had a little morsel, or just a handful, I believe is what it says, of flour. But now she's in a position where upon trusting and believing and doing as the prophet commanded, this word comes. And in verse 15, and she went and did. And she went and did. Do you think, <clears throat> excuse me, this story could have gone a lot different if it said, and she didn't do? But she went and did, as Elijah said. And as she and her household ate, look at this. For many days, the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke for Elijah. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here in this story today. It's not the basis for my entire message, but I just want to give you quick, I'm just going to briefly hit five observations, and then I'm going to come back to the observations, but I'm going to bring them in light of a provision for another man of God that we're going to look at in the New Testament. But look at these observations. According to what this woman went through, let's apply it to us for just a moment. Our financial need does not excuse us from giving. Maybe I could have put it this way. Our time involvement doesn't exclude us from volunteering. Maybe I could put it our, our ability doesn't exclude us from trying. Second observation. We still give out of what we have. There's no need to give out of nothing. She still had a little bit of flour, right? And she gave out of what she had. Mind you, it was the last of what she had, but God was able to multiply out of what she had. Fast forward a little bit, I think of the story of the young man that had encountered the disciples as they had to feed 5,000 men plus women and children, and all he had was a few loaves and a little bit of fish. And God asked him to use what he had, and the multitudes were fed out of that, to the point that there were baskets left over. God has this strange ability to use a little bit to make a lot. But it still takes obedience to give out of what we have. And God's provision, observation number three, he provides through our giving. Had this woman not reached into the jar for the flour, had the young man in the New Testament not offered his loaves and fish, knowing that it was not enough, had they not done that, provision would not have happened. So God provides through our giving. Observation number four, obedience is tied to belief. God tells us to give. If I didn't believe, I I, I I don't know where the obedience and, and, and I have to obey. 
If, if the woman didn't go and do what the prophet had told her to do in obedience, I, I also think in this story that the prophecy came, she then went. There's faith and obedience. They're tied together. If I didn't have faith to believe that God could do, I don't know that I'd have the obedience to follow out with the command in which he motivates me to move. And therefore, I've got to read his word, have faith to believe his word and what it says. And in that faith, I'm motivated to obey what he says to do. It's as simple as God said it, I believe it, I'll do it. We've also got to rem remember that faith is completely tied up in the unseen. But once we see it, it's no longer faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Obedience is tied to belief. Belief is the element of faith. Faith is the element in which we please God. God's moved by faith. And then fifth, God loves to provide miraculously. Five simple observations. You see them right there. Financial deed doesn't excuse us from giving. We give out of what we have. God provides to our giving. Obedience is tied to belief. God provides miraculously. Do you see benefits up on the screen right there? Do you, do you see why maybe I would want to talk to you all a little bit about tying our life to the life of Christ or maybe tying giving to the fact that Christ gave? Do you see that maybe this is a win-win scenario? That there are benefits to letting go of some things in our lives. The Bible also says about treasure that it's where our heart lies. I want to look at 2 Corinthians together. Paul is addressing the church of Corinth that has proven to be very generous even though they don't have a lot. I think of the church that we come from. By the way, the church that, that is, has sent... Word of Life in Bentonville that has sent us to be Word of Life Miami is, other than the, the offerings that we receive here from you all, is more or less completely underwriting all of our expenses. This is a church of 250 or so, up, or, up and down. They fluctuate just like most churches. To my understanding, there's not a single multi-millionaire, maybe not even a millionaire in this church. This church has a multi-million dollar facility on the most prominent piece of land in all of Bentonville, Arkansas. If they were to sell this five-acre tract of land, they could probably get bukus of millions of dollars for this. They, last, from my understanding, are virtually, if not completely, debt-free. Not saying that they don't have their financial issues or their ups and downs, but I'm going to tell you, of these few people, they are extremely generous. I believe that I could almost describe that church in what I'm about to describe from this church in Corinth that Paul is addressing. But it's because they get this. They give out of what they have. They trust God. They obey God. They don't make excuses as to why they can't give. They give and they watch what God can do. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 
verses 1 through 15. Paul's obviously not writing alone, and he opens with we. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches at Macedonia. For in severe tests of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty have overflown in wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means. Did you catch that? They gave according to their means. As I can testify beyond their means. Oh, there's a little bit more. They gave according and a little bit more on their own accord. Kind of get in there that no one asked them to give beyond their means. They just did. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in your love for you, so that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that you love also, that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that through he, that though, sorry, he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by this or his poverty might become rich. And in this manner I give my judgment. His benefits, this benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Now, so now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean this or that others should be eased and you burdened, but that is a matter of fairness. Your abundance at the present time should supply their needs, so that their abundance may supply your need, so that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathers much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Moving on to chapter 9, just continuing on uh, to verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has desired or decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. It is written, as it is written, he has distributed freely and has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread, to the, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which would, or sorry, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By the approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others. For they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So I want to talk about a couple of things just real quickly. I'm not going to be much longer. Do you remember my five points that I just read? Let me give you the four of them again and show you how it ties to the New Testament. Remember the first one, our financial deed need? 
does not excuse us from giving. If we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, it says, For in severe testing of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty, have overflowed in wealth of generosity on their part. Even though they were afflicted, they had an abundance of joy. In their extreme poverty, they overflowed in wealth. I wonder, does wealth, is it tied to money? Or is it tied to mindset? Is it a tie, tied to relationships? Is it tied to what Jesus Christ has done for us? Is it tied to the fact that he is the big gift? And if we've received that gift, do we have everything we could ever want, need, have? Do we be supplied with everything possible? There's a woman in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, that talks about, that shows maybe how this gift is supplied in the area of finances. For just a moment, it says, And he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich, rich people put in large sums, and the poor widow came and put in two small, two small copper. Smopper is what happens when you put small copper coins in something, which make a penny. She put in a penny. And, the disciple, and he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all these who are contributing in the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, and she had it, or everything she had, all that she had to live on. Now, I want, I want to be, if I can just be really honest, I, I knew that we were going to have quite a few people in here that have never seen my face or never heard me preach, never been part of here, and, and the moment I heard that, I thought, oh crap, can I say that? God, you have me talking about money. You have me, maybe not so much money, but about giving. I, I, there might be people in there that the last time they were in church said that was going to be the last time they were in church because all they ever do is talk about money. There are those that have been with us since day one. This might be the first time you've ever heard me talk about money. And here you are hearing me talk about giving. Now, I, I, I really hope you get my heart on this. I am not here again to manipulate a big offering out of the room. I am here to ask you to, to really just look internally and see where your heart is. And, and it's not about big offering, little offering. I'm really excited this woman gave a penny. More so than the, the people that gave in large sums. Because in this, in giving all that she had, she was able to sit back and say, God, I've given you everything. I trust you for everything. I once said in regards to the tithe, the biblical principle of giving a tenth of your income. Now hear my heart in this. Please hear my heart in this. And this is for people that are part of this church and believe God and trust Him. This is a hard thing for me to say and I feel compulsion to say it, so I'm going to say it. When you withhold the tithe, it's oftentimes, now I'm not saying for you, I'm just saying with every bit of grace that I can muster in my voice, it's oftentimes like saying, God, it's okay, I can handle my finances without you. It's a tough thing to stomach, isn't it? I've been saying hard words lately, haven't I? But it's really, it's just as simple as saying, God, I either trust you with everything, or I don't trust you at all. 
This woman could not afford to put in a penny. But it wasn't about the money. It was about her heart. And our financial need doesn't excuse us from giving. And again, it's, take the money out of the equation. It, I have people, we have people in part, that are part of this church that are giving of their time. Time is money. I, I, I can teach it later on, on the tithe and how that's addressed to our income. And, and I'm, that's not today. I'm here to talk about how we give of ourselves. Please, don't make excuses and say, I just can't afford to. I, I like to put it this way, and I know this personally. And, and I, I, I think you've noticed I'm not really trying. I'm looking at my notes more than I'm looking out in the crowd because this is honestly the hardest thing for me to talk about, but I have to do what I believe God tells me to talk about. Um, but um, in my own life, I've seen it time and time and time again that for some reason, God supplies so much more when I'm giving out of the need. It's like this. I, had, I, I saw it recently where somebody was trying to say that when you give, you break the curse over your finances. And I, I want to just say this very clearly. God doesn't curse us because we don't give. God is not the kind of God that curses. That is not how he operates. God is not going to look at you and say, you give, you're going to have more money in your bank account. You don't give, you're going to have sickness in your life. That's not how God operates. But what does happen, I believe, in all of my heart is that he's like, you give. The Bible says in Malachi 3.10, see that I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you that you cannot contain. That sounds like a pretty cool bit of awesomeness wrapped into a phrase, doesn't it? But when you don't give, I believe you come out of the protection of God. You're not cursed, you're just removed from the protection of God. I need to move on before I lose people in the room. The second thing that we looked at from early, we give out of what we have. But I don't want us to forget the element of faith. Verses 3 in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 said, uh, 3 through 5, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, out of their own accord. Being or begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, then by the will of God for us. Important, this here. They gave out of their means. Now they threw in faith, and some of them gave beyond their means. That's kind of the widow putting in the might, the, the extra penny, that all that she had. But I'm going to tell you, no one went into debt to give. I did, they didn't, listen, we can process credit card payments here for, for giving, but I don't ever, 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 if I find out that somebody has been like, I don't have the money, but I wanted to give 100 bucks today, so I'm going to pay that out over the next six months and pay interest, I'll be thoroughly miffed because somebody did that. That's not how we give here. We process credit cards because it's easy sometimes for people to use their debit card because they don't carry checks or cash on them. But it has nothing to do with people going into debt and making installments to be able to give to this church. That is not mature use of money. Amen? So don't ever go into debt to give, but ask God to challenge your faith as you give. Third point, God provides through our giving. Verse 13, for I do not mean that others should be eased in burden, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may 
supply your need. You see where God is providing through our giving? Uh, Luke 6.38, Jesus is saying this. Listen to his words. And, and if Jesus says that we can take it to the bank, he says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over, it will be put into your lap. And then this phrase gets me every time. For with the measure you use it, will be measured back to you. And then I mentioned uh, Malachi 3.10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. I will not open the windows of heaven, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And then the last point, and I'm going to wrap up with this, obedience is tied to belief. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 we read verses 6 through 15. 6 and 7 says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I can tell in your attitude how much you believe God is going to do what he said he's going to do through your giving. 2 Timothy 3.14, the last verse I'm going to read today. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it. Jesus is the ultimate teacher. Jesus is the ultimate example. God gave his son. The son gave his life the ultimate sacrifice. The theme of Christmas is giving. We've all been giving gifts, right? Or working towards giving of gifts. We can give time. We can give talent. We can talk about our treasure. But the ultimate thing I'm really wanting to address today is that we're giving. Giving. God works with the giver. God moves among the giver. Amen. Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I hope it's challenged you and enriched your life. I hope it's helping you live a life closer to service with Jesus Christ. Hey, if it's done anything for you today, if it's meant anything, we could use your support. And there's several ways you can do that. First off, you can pray for us. Pray as we're doing our church plant here in northeastern Oklahoma that God is totally blessing all of our efforts, but also in the area of support. If you want to give financially to what we're doing, you can go to our website at WLMIAMA.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I. Dot com and click on the Give tab and go through the process there to contribute. And also, if you are in the area near Miami, Oklahoma on a Sunday morning, why don't you join us for our live experience at 10 a.m.? We'd love to see you. God bless.